The scripture for our sermon this morning is Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 28. If you have your copy of God's Word, you may turn there, or you can take the Pew Bible in the Pew there and turn to page 941. God's Word in Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is the word of God for the people of God. And let's pray now as we begin to unpack this word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your word. Lord, the heavenliness of its doctrine is readily evident to all who would read it. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would bless your people to have ears of faith to receive your word. Father, that you would keep me from error as I explain your word to, the, to your people. Father, we pray that you would use your word to effectually call and raise to life those who are dead, who may be here hearing your word for the first time, God, or, or for one time in, in the midst of many times. Father, we pray that you would use your word, as you have said, to make it effectual for their salvation. Father, and for those who are here, who are yours, whom, who know the Spirit's assurance upon their hearts of your salvation, God, I pray that you would use this sermon or this text of Scripture to increase our love for you. Father, that we would echo in our hearts the truth of the hymn we just sang, oh, for grace to trust you more. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, no matter where you are in your Christian walk, or if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we, each and every one of us, desperately need to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know it more fully for every moment of our lives. The gospel is the foundation of Christianity. It is the daily sustenance, and it is itself the consummation or pinnacle of the Christian life. And that's why every time I have an opportunity to preach somewhere, I always share the one thing that saves sinners— Sinners who have never heard the good news and sinners who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Sinners are saved by grace through faith in Christ and in him alone. It is repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that saves. And if you are his by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, this message is to encourage and exhort you to set our passage this morning upon your heart, to internalize that truth that we would be always, it would always be readily available before your mind's eye. Another brother in the faith has described this passage as the Acropolis of the Christian faith. That is, that this passage is the absolute most important passage in the Bible. 
And I believe that he's right. If we lost all the Bible and had only this short passage, it would be enough to show God's infinite grace, his amazing mercy and kindness, and how we can be saved from the wrath that we so justly deserve. So this morning, I want us to focus in on the specifics of this section, because if we can grasp it in each of its parts, it will do at least three things in us. And these are the applications of today's message, which I'm going to go ahead and give at the outset. So this is what we should apply from what will come in the exposition. First, knowing the gospel more fully will root us more and more deeply in the gospel itself, and it will compel us to further worship. That is, first, the first thing that knowing the gospel more fully will do is to lead us to treasure Christ more. Oh, for the grace to trust him more. Second, being rooted in the gospel will build up the people of God as a whole, as the church individual, this church, and the church universal. Being rooted in the gospel is what brings us into further fellowship and what brings us further in the Christian walk. And finally, delighting in the gospel will propel us outward to proclaim the greatness of what God has done for us in Christ to the lost and dying world. This message is so important that it was said in Acts of, of Peter that they could not but speak of what they had seen and heard. And that's my hope this morning, is that if you've heard the gospel, you'd say, okay, Chad, I've heard the gospel, I know the gospel, let's move on. I would say, please, please don't think that way. Because the gospel is not just the introduction to Christianity. It is the beginning, it is all of Christianity, and it is the end for which Christianity is the exaltation of Christ to the glory of God forever. So let's engage God's word together, asking him to do the work that only he can do, to continue to drive us further up and further in to his greatness, in order that we would go further and, fur further, and further out in our living out of the gospel's implications for our daily life. So that's our goal this morning, to help you to treasure Christ to, as a church, as Covenant Presbyterian Church, to build up the church and to go forth and proclaim that good news to a lost and dying world. So I'm going to start, and by God's grace, the Lord has, has, has given me to be a simple Bible preacher. So you can take your Bible, and we're just going to walk our way through it. Because the only thing that changes people is God's word, not my words. So you'll be able to see this in God's word, and my hope is that your joy will be filled up further, because you can go and see, wow, that is what God's word says. And so... By, by his grace, I want to pray one more time before we get started, and we'll dig in from verse, at, verse by verse as we go, explaining this passage. So let me pray once more. <clears throat> Our Father, we do ask for your grace as we continue to expose your word, that you would guide us by your spirit, that you'd keep us from error, Lord, and that we'd exalt Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this verse tells us, that we have fallen short of God's glory. Well, the question, one question we should ask is, how short of God's glory? Well, for starters, it's always good to be reminded of who God is and what he, what he is. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism says it this way in question four. What is God, is the question. And the answer is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, Holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's our God. And what has the holy God commanded us, which we've highlighted already in our worship, 
as his creatures, made in his own image and likeness, what has he said to us? He has said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And with love in my heart, I have to tell you that you have not kept this law every minute of every day. And we confessed that reality a moment ago, that we have not kept the two greatest commandments in all of God's law. We have not kept them. And I would not be faithful as a preacher if I didn't tell you, you haven't kept those laws. I haven't kept them either. This isn't me pointing the finger. We have not kept God's law. And the word of God tells us that whoever fails to keep the law in one point has become guilty of not having kept any of it. And this is only the tip of the iceberg concerning how short we've fallen of the glory of God. So two laws, and how well have we kept them? Not at all. But let's see this. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And his words are only for the hearers of his day. They apply to us. And again, with love in my heart, it is my duty to tell you today that you are not perfect. Sorry. I hope you already knew that. Lord willing, you did. But to be a faithful preacher of God's word, I need to remind us today that we are not perfect. But that's what God's word says. So, okay, so if God is perfect and we are not, here we stand, at least thinking about falling short of the glory of God. And our verse says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I would be amiss if I didn't tell you that not only are you not perfect, but the best things that you do are as filthy rags before God's sight. Scripture in Isaiah 64, 6 says that the best things that we do, our righteous deeds, are as filthy garments before God. So rather than being almost perfect, we are not righteous. We are not Even before, in this same passage in Romans chapter 3, which um, Brother Carl read a moment ago, which is quoting from Psalm 14, says, none is righteous, no, not one. That's not just from one passage of scripture. That's Paul's quoting from Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and then he re-quotes it here in Romans 3. If God says it three times in his word, it's probably important. So, none is righteous, no, not one. But even more than not being righteous, this even tells us that we're not even good, right? Our problem was we're not perfect, but wait, we're not righteous, but wait, we're not good. If you look at Romans Romans 3, verse 12, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we've gone from being almost there to not quite there to not even close, falling short of the glory of God. But to make matters worse, Scripture says that not only are we not good, we're in fact doing an about-face concerning God. Apart from his grace, we are enemies of God, Scripture says. In Romans 8, 7 and 8, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And just in case you start to think, oh, okay, Chad, okay. Okay, we're bad. But there's a little bit of goodness in each one of us. In the sense in which none is righteous before God, I would answer you, no. There is not a shred of goodness towards God's infinite standard of perfection in us. 
And we're not treading water in the ocean of our sinfulness, crying to God to throw us a life preserver. That analogy seems good, but it doesn't go far enough. As one brother has put it, the best analogy for our condition is not treading water, but rather cold, dead corpses on the bottom of the ocean of our sin, which must be supernaturally revived in order to believe this gospel of God's grace. That's what total depravity is. Complete and utter dependence for God's grace to rescue us from our deadness. And praise the Lord what grace there is in Christ. And this is why I labor so long at the beginning of a sermon and you wonder why are you preaching this way? Because we have to see how far we've fallen short of God's glory. Because if we can see the dark blackness of the sky of our sinfulness, then we will be able to see all the more radiantly the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you don't understand your sin, you will not understand our God. And this is not to be harsh. This is to cultivate grace in your hearts. And so that's what my prayer is this morning. That Christ would be exalted. Because verse 23 is not the end. Praise God. So let's move to verse 24 and 25. So we see how short we've fallen of God's glory. But then it says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The gospel, friends, is good news. It doesn't end with me telling you that you're a sinner. It ends with the fact that God is gracious in Christ to sinful people like us. And praise God for that. So right off the bat, there is grace and goodness of God in the gospel. This is why the gospel is good news. Those who repent of their sins, if they turn from their sinfulness and their sin and trust in Christ by faith, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified. Justified simply means that we're declared to be right in God's sight. Well, why are we declared to be right? What's the passage tell us? By his grace. How does he apply that grace? As a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ's death on the cross was a substitutionary sacrifice for sinful people. Everyone who will turn from their sin and believe on him may be counted as right before God because of his grace as a gift through our Lord Jesus. And God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The substitutionary atonement is about the fact that our only hope is the shedding of blood in order to remove our sin. Scripture reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Propitiation is a big word that means that Christ is the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. He took God's righteous anger against my sin. The hell that I justly deserved, Christ drank on the cross. So there is no more condemnation for me, as Tim said earlier. As we read the scriptural assurance, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. I deserve death. I deserve condemnation. And yet Christ has given me life. He has paid the, the bloody sacrifice that I deserve to pay the eternity of hell that I deserve to pay, Christ has paid it. God deserves to slay all of us with hell for eternity, 
for our rebellion to his lordship. And if you say, oh, well, Chad, but, but how, how can God deserve to slay me with hell for eternity? That seems a little bit harsh. I would say to you that like all the rest of us, we have a far too creature-exalting perspective on sin. Our dear brother, R.C. Sproul, who just passed on to glory, answered a question like this, saying, isn't, isn't that punishment too harsh for us? He answered the question, speaking of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden and the punishment that God gave in this way. So this is Dr. Sproul speaking, quote, this creature, speaking of us, this creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. After that God had said, the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. And instead of dying, Sproul says the word for dying is in the Greek is thanatos, that day, instead of dying that day, he lived another day and was clothed in his nakedness by pure grace and had the consequences of a curse applied for quite some time, but the worst curse would come upon the one who seduced him, whose head would be crushed by the seed of the woman, and the punishment was too severe? Dr. Sproul asks us, the punishment was too severe after all that grace? He says, what's wrong with you people? These are Dr. Sproul's words. What is wrong with us? He says, I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. It's so important for us as a modern Christian church to understand again the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, not to degrade us into into monotony or to not have any hope because what a hope we have in Christ. What a glorious and God-honoring hope we have. But sadly, we are far more man-exalting and far below how God-fearing we ought to be. So my prayer this morning for you is that we would see God's immense grace in putting Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So let's continue in verse 25. Why did God do this? The scripture tells us this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As the eternally holy, righteous, and just God, our king must punish sins. And these verses, 25b to 26, remind us that until Jesus was punished on the cross for the sins of his people, Satan stood accusing Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and all of those who had come before Jesus was crucified. Satan stood accusing them of their sin as being unfit to be before God. Why do you get to be in heaven? Where's your covering? And accusing God, God, this is injustice. Where, where is the punishment for their sin? Well, what does the scripture tell us? But God showed his righteousness to all the universe in 33 AD by crushing his son for the sins of his people. In the forbearance of God, he passed over their sins. Why? Because he was going to punish them and did in Christ. There is no injustice in God. God is perfectly just, and he waited until that perfect time in which he could pour out the full cup of his wrath that was due me and due you, brother and sister in Christ. And praise the Lord that there's no more wrath left for us. That's the grace of the gospel, 
is that while the holy God deserves to punish sin and his wrath is fierce and it is wet, his sword is wet against sin, he has punished it in Christ. There is no more wrath left for me. Hallelujah. Justice must be served. Scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that passage is far from some kind of universalism. It's a clear cry to those who don't know Jesus to kiss the Son lest he be angry with you. You must bend your knees to Jesus' Lordship now or your knees will be forcibly bent for all eternity while your soul burns forever in hell. And I don't say that to scare you or to be a preacher of fire and brimstone, but to tell you the truth with love in my heart. That we must bend the knee now, that, it would not, that our knees would not be bent forcibly later. God, in his grace, doesn't leave us with only wrath. What does he say in the rest of our passage? That he's just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so we can rejoice because what's required of us, turn from sin, look to Christ. Not turn from sin, do all these works, follow the four steps, do this, do that, get through the law. No, turn and look to Christ, all the ends of the earth and you will be saved. So then we say in verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And we discussed this at the beginning, that works of the law cannot save us. If you've broken one part of God's law, you've broken it all. Well, how do you make reparation? Do you just do more good works? False. God says if you break one law, all of it is yours. The condemnation is upon you. So what do we do? We turn from sin and we look for mercy. We look for grace in the face of Christ. So no works of righteousness can atone for sin, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But thanks be to God that we are made right in his sight by faith, apart from works of the law. This is the gospel that's the foundation of our Christianity. The God of glory will not simply excuse our sinfulness. It must be punished. And for everyone who will repent and turn to Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. As we read this morning, there is forgiveness that he may be feared. And this gospel is the sustenance of our Christianity. That the God, that God who punishes sin is now our God. And Jesus teaches us to call him our Father in heaven. Our Father who has adopted us. Our friend. Christ is called our friend. He considers himself our friend who loves us. Our guide by his spirit who leads us to delight in him more. And this gospel is itself the consummation of Christianity. Even the angels, scripture tells us, long to look into the majesty of the mystery of how God would show mercy to wretched people like us. Have you considered that? Let's think about that for just a minute. Any angels that stand before God with rejoicing do so because they've never sinned. And yet, we who have sinned will be able to stand before God only because the man, Christ Jesus, is our mediator, the one who paid our debt. The mercy of God is astounding that we deserve hell like Satan, but God sent Christ to die for us? 
and we spurn that as though it's elementary Christianity? Lord, help us. And thanks be to God that if you're not a believer today, and if today you hear his voice, you can repent of your sins. Repentance is a word in the Greek, metanoia. It just means a change of mind. You see, wow, I am a mess, and I am in desperate need of help, and I need to turn and bend my knees to Jesus, that Jesus would clean me up. Not that I'd get clean before I come to Christ, but that he would turn my life around. In the providence of God, that is partly how God turned me to himself. Before I became a believer, I grew up, personally, I grew up in the Catholic Church and thought that I was good with God and went to college and started asking questions and came to the realization by the providence of God that I didn't know God at all. And God in his immense sovereignty turned a wretched hater of God about face and made me to believe in Christ. My faith at that point looked simply like the way I told people around me, the way I told them was, I, I don't understand this, but there's something different about Jesus, and I want more of him. And that was, the, that was the, the basic essence of my faith at that point. Now, by God's grace, it has grown from that, but it started there. Stopping looking at me, looking to Christ. I don't know why, but in the province of God, I looked to Christ. I continued to read his word, continued to pray, was brought up in faithful discipleship. And in his providence, I stand here sharing the same gospel of good, good news, which is salvation to you. So I would say to you today, if you've never turned from yourself and your sin, and you, and, and you would say, Chad, I don't, I've not done that. I don't know Christ savingly. I would say to you in the words of Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The Lord gives forgiveness freely to all who will turn and believe in Christ. Jesus has died and risen, securing our righteousness before God by his own finished work. He simply calls us now and always to bend the knee to Christ. He does not call you to clean yourself up before you can be in his presence. He says in scripture, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, great God of highest heaven, we pray for your grace upon us that you would occupy our lowly hearts. Lord, own them all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased us. Make us yours forevermore. And if any are hearing this for the first time, God, I pray that you would make them yours and you give them grace to be connected to a local church like Covenant Presbyterian Church, Father, that they would be discipled and grow in the grace and the knowledge of you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.